which is my default, by the way. Looking at people thinking, you know, get a job, dude. How many times have I said that to myself? And then, and then the other part of myself says, yeah, what's Unstoppable Love look like right now? Oh, Unstoppable Love uh, says, hi, my name's Dan. How you doing? Mm-hmm. It's kind of cold out here on the street. Um, how are things going for you? to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Dr. Dan Diamond is a uniquely qualified leader with over 30 years of international disaster experience. He came back from the trenches of Katrina with a burning question. How is it that some people become unstoppable? Dr. Dan has been interviewed on CNN, Larry King Live and by Anderson Cooper. In 2010, the American Red Cross gave him the Real Hero Award, and he also received Washington State's Governor's Award of Excellence for his work in Haiti. And in 2014, Dr. Diamond received the President's Volunteer Service Award from President Obama. The Diamond family is big on traditions, humour and love, as we will see when we hear from him in this podcast. So today I'm joined with Dr. Dan Diamond, and I'm just going to put a real emphasis on the word diamond because he really is one. And it's like this name is just so incredibly um, perfect for what I think is a really incredible, genuine kind of star and diamond in anyone's life who encounters him. Um, A bit of background, he does incredible facilitation online. He is a MD. Um, I could spend probably the next hour just reading to you all the stuff that I think is an absolute blessing. Um, But one thing that I will share is in 2010, it says the American Red Cross gave him the Real Hero Award. And he also received the Washington State Governor's Award for Excellence for his work in Haiti. And in 2014, he received the President's Volunteer Service Award from President Obama and also received the Quality of Care Lifetime Achievement Award Healthcare Heroes. Now, after that is the thing that really kind of like made my heart just kind of like go, oh, The Diamond family is big on traditions, humor, and love. Welcome, Dr. Dan. Thank you, my friend. I'm glad to spend some time with you. I, you know, I am delighted that you and I are friends. It's a great thing. It's really good. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, whenever I think about the work that you're doing in the world, it it always makes me want to pause and become a better human being. So thank you for the way that you show up with all the gifts that you have. 
Thank you. So I'd like to know a little bit about that last line that I shared about big on traditions. What are the the real kind of traditions that you have in your family that you would love to see like your great grandchildren still follow? You know, it, it really important to me is that we keep our sense of humor. My dad was absolutely hilarious. And when he died at 86, he had about 450 people that showed up at his funeral and they were all different ages, all different races. It was just, you know, reaching out to people that are different and connecting and using humor and connecting at the heart. Um, I mean, that's the most important part to me is how, how do we connect people at the heart? How do we get people to see each other and really see each other and connect? And um, we're all about what does unstoppable love look like? Mm. How does that happen? You know, even when I don't want to love, when I get frustrated, how do, how do I go, ah, yeah, okay, I got to come back to what does unstoppable love look like? Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's it. It's, it's at the very, very core, I would say we're about unstoppable love mm-hmm. and a good dose of humor in there as well. Mm, I love that. I, I, I want to be part of your family, right? Like, will you adopt? You are me? part of my family. Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> I already adopted you. You're wonderful. I'm so happy yeah, to hear yeah. it. It's all good. So, so unstoppable love, like what does that actually mean? Well, you know, this goes back to, and you know, I'm coming from a Christian perspective, which is um, a little different than your perspective, but I'm again, celebrating that we're friends and that, and mm. that we care about each other. Um, a lot of people will translate the word agape as unconditional love. And I go, unconditional love feels way too passive for me. You know, so I'll sit in my throne if you've offended me and wait for you to come. And if you if you come and ask for forgiveness and I'm not in a bad mood, I won't make you kiss the ring. I'll just forgive you and it'll all be good. I don't see Jesus doing it that way. He showed up. Mm. You know, I mean, and he didn't just show up like God coming in all his glory. He showed up being bored to a single teenage mom in a barn, wrapped in some cloth and a trough. Like, what? That's unstoppable love. Unstoppable love that says, that's not all about me. It's about restoring the relationship. So I'm looking at it like when, when I see people... Around, all around the world, you know, here at home, but when I'm deployed in disasters, when I'm um, walking down the street and seeing people that are living on the street, do I look at them? Well, first of all, do I look at them? Do I see them mm. or do I just walk on by? And then when I see them, do I look at them with judgment, which is my default, by the way, looking at people thinking, you know, get a job, dude. How many times have I said that to myself? And then, and then the other part of myself says, yeah, what's unstoppable love look like right now? Oh, unstoppable love uh, says, hi, my name's Dan. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Kind of cold out here on the street. Um, how are things going for you? You know, I just, um, I had a great conversation with the lady at the grocery store several months back. I, I said to her, she was standing out there with her cardboard sign. And I thought, you know, I don't know anything about these people. I just got to go over and say hi. I said, hi, my name's Dan. <laughs> she said, oh, hi, I'm Denise. I said, oh, Denise, nice to meet you. It's kind of cold out here. And she goes, oh, yeah, I just keep moving. I said, oh, yeah. Um, 
do you, do you have a place to stay? She says, oh, yeah, yeah, I have a camper. I said, oh, oh, that's cool. That's really helpful. Do you, do you have electricity? And she says, oh, yeah, my brother lets me plug in at his house. I said, oh, that's really good. That's good. So um, do you have any favorite animals? And, she's, and she pulls out a picture, not a phone, <laughs> but wow. a picture of her dog and says, yeah, this is my dog. This is my most favorite animal. I said, oh, that's cool. My most favorite animal is a tardigrade. They're microscopic, but they're the most resilient animal on the planet. And I pull out my phone and showed her a picture of a tardigrade. And we're standing out there laughing. And, and I said, you know, they should get a bench for you out here so you have a place to sit. And she said, oh, no, I would never use it. I said, really, why wouldn't you use a bench? And she said, well, because um, if I used a bench, I'd get cold. I got to keep moving when I'm out here. So, yeah, I would never use a bench. And I went away from that conversation smiling and thinking, this is cool. I just connected. I made a new friend. But I was also walked away from that realizing that I have this preconceived idea that I know what's best for other people. Maybe it's because I'm a doctor and I'm a trained, a highly trained problem solver. I know how to fix you before you even know what's wrong with you. <laughs> before you even know what's wrong with you, I can fix you. You know, it's like, really? How about if I just show up and say, what would make your life better? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying, I know what you need, you need a bench. She didn't need a bench. In my opinion, she needed a bench, but my opinion was wrong. Mm-hmm. So what does unstoppable love look like? Unstoppable love looks like I see her as a person. And I come alongside and I say, help me to see what it looks like from your perspective, Mm -hmm. because it's not the same as my perspective. That took me, that took me my, my whole life to figure this out. I I don't, I don't think I showed you my new gizmo that I have. Hold on. Because this thing is really cool. And as you're doing that, I'll, I'll just share a couple of things if I may. So yeah. I, I think we're on exactly the same mission because for me, what you have described is everything that I'm trying to do with the Center for Belonging and Understanding. And it's very much about how do we have these conversations so that we can understand other people? Because I think without asking questions and being curious and thinking, I, 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 and you know, I'm telling you, I'm a, um, a recovering judgmental person. And, and I say that because every day I have to listen into myself. Am I judging here? What assumptions am I making? How am I approaching this conversation? And just by unpacking some of that stuff, I hope that it makes me less judgmental and enables me to listen to the stories of other people, which is essentially why I started to do this podcast, because I'm like, I've got some amazing people in my life and I would like to get to know them better. And why not let them get to know all of the other amazing people that exist? Because through conversation, through deepening that sense of understanding other people, I believe that we also increase our own sense of belonging oh, and enable absolutely. that for others. Absolutely. You're 100% right. As mm. long as we're othering people, you know, you know how those people are. Mm. And, and you could fill in the blank. You know how those Muslims are. You know how those Christians are. You know how those men are. <laughs> you know how those women are. You know how those Gen Zs are. You know how that, it's like you can run through the whole list of you know how those other you know in, in the U.S. You know how those Democrats are, how the Republicans are. It's like uh, 
Yeah, but you don't know me. Mm. And and gosh, you know what's fascinating about this is that I remember watching a masterclass last year in the pandemic because one of the things that we decided to do as a family was just do some learning together. And Carl Axelrod, and I cannot believe I can't remember the other guy's name, but he's the opposite end of the, the political spectrum. They did a masterclass together. And it was just even listening to the story of how they met um, was really powerful because their point of connection was through a human story to do with the death of somebody. And I think one of them wrote a letter to the other. And, you know, the guy didn't even read it for a while. But when he read it, he was just like, I need to reach out. And they became friends, but they're mm. at opposite ends of the political spectrum and then they do this masterclass on teaching us how to do political strategy like wow that's, that's awesome I, I a guy named brian stevenson had a profound impact on my life he mm. works at the equal justice initiative he wrote the book just mercy he was the guy that helped get anthony ray hinton off death row after 30 years of being on death row wow the guy was 45 feet from the electric chair I read Hinton's book. I listened to it on Audible. And as I'm driving my car, I'm weeping and, and yelling from my soul. Ah! I've never done that reading a book. I was glad I was by myself in the car. It was a long trip. And I think, oh, man, I hope there weren't people that watched me do, do this because, yeah, I looked like a maniac. But I was, you know, I had tears coming down my face from this book. And the thing I learned from Brian Stevenson, he's got a... Um, you can find it on YouTube. It's a talk that he gave about proximity. And, and talking about, the, and if we want to break down these barriers that we have between different people groups, the way to do that is through proximity. Mm. It's like, can I sit right next to you shoulder to shoulder and say, what is it like to be a Muslim woman? Because I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. And so I have to admit that, first of all, I don't know stuff. And then I have to show up with this insatiable curiosity, motivated by unstoppable love, not because I need to fix you. I don't. I just need to be with you. Mm. I just want to spend time with you, and I want to get to know you, and I want to appreciate you. That's a whole different deal. And, and so I, I started thinking about my eyes. When God built our face, he put the eyes proximate to each other, and because there's two of them, it gives us depth perception. If you want to see in 3D, you need two eyes. If you want to have depth perception, you need two eyes. Bring them right next to each other. God didn't put them on our fingers like this so they could look at each other. <laughs> he put them here so they can focus out. And I thought, I, I was doing a workshop and I shared that. And I was so proud of myself because I thought, this is the perfect metaphor of why it's important to be proximate. At the break, and I'm not kidding you, at the break, a guy comes up with an eye patch. Oh, my God. And he says, you kind of offended me, saying that you can't see in 3D. I said, well, you know, we're at break right now. After the break, will you come up? And he goes, yeah, well, I said, can you catch? And he goes, of course I can catch. So I had, a, I had a ball with me and all my stuff. So he came up, and I said, hey, everybody, I just want to let you know I was wrong. You can see in 3D with one eye. And I threw the ball to him, and he went like this. And he caught it, and I said, but it's a whole lot more work. It's easier if you just had a second eye. It was, I mean, it turned out to be an even better metaphor 
that, you know, can I, am I willing to sit with people that are different than I am? And sometimes that's really scary because mm-hmm. it's, we've built up these ideas of what people are like, like, you know, can I sit with somebody that's a, a transgender? When I grew up that that's totally messed up and that's not okay. Well, now I have some friends that are transgender and it's like, yeah, we've, we've moved past that. Mm. So it's, you know, how, what does unstoppable love look like? Unstoppable love looks like I'm not going to stay here and look over there and go, you know, how those people are, you know, you know, they're all messed up. Fortunately, I have my act together. <laughs> no, I'm going to go over there and say, Hey, my name's Dan. I'm a 64 year old white guy. In case you hadn't noticed, um, a straight white guy. And, I just have a bunch of questions I want to ask you. Can I sit with you for a while? Mm. And you know what you're describing there is how I have done the majority of my personal growth by literally being in spaces where I am an anomaly and then being curious because you do a number of different things, right? Like, And I don't get it perfect. And I'll share the story of when I really messed up with my son making the observation in a minute. But it's kind of like, When you're curious and you ask questions, you enable other people to feel safe in the discomfort that you are holding for them. And that's how we all grow together. Because I think without this real peace on conversation and, and, you know, like I remember a few weeks ago, someone said to me, so, so, you know, you're creating this center of belonging and understanding. So how are you going to work with gay people? And I was like, is that even a question? (laughs) (laughs) And, and the thing is, is, is really about that, like the connection of humanity and the assumptions that people make because I am a Muslim woman that I must be homophobic or against LGBTQI and even saying this out loud now in this podcast is going to bring me a whole load of stuff that I really don't want. But, you know, let it happen because we all need to connect at human be- at a human level. And yeah, when yeah, we yeah. do that, we can understand other people's stories. And I, I believe that we can have an opinion about how everyone should live their life, but we can't live their life. And the only one that we can live is our own. And the biggest gift that you can give to somebody else is kindness and understanding and helping them to belong. And I might even press my own buttons a little bit and say, even if that makes you uncomfortable or you feel a sense of discomfort, doing that in service of the other person and this you know, in a space where God is watching is a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that unstoppable love thing. 100%. Unstoppable love's uncomfortable. Mm. And, and I'll tell you the story about my son. So I'm working really hard trying to do my thesis and um, uh, I decided to take a few hours off. So my, my son says, okay, he wanted to go to Covent Garden for pizza. So we went and we're walking around the shops and um, – one of the stall holders said hello. And I said hello to her in response while I was looking at the items that were on the stall. And we're walking away from there. And my son turns around and goes, Mom, you know, that was quite rude. I'm thinking, well, what did I do wrong? And he says to me, you know, when you speak to somebody, you should look at them in their eyes. Whoa, yeah. 
honestly, I was like, oh my God, this, you know, 15 year old boy has just given me such a big lesson because here I am thinking, you know, I'm, I try and be polite. I try and be kind. I always respond when someone says hello and I messed up so badly. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Mm. Powerful. Let me and show I, you this little, this little thing I have, cause I think you'll like this. Yeah, See if this ahead. works. This is a, this is a, uh, block of, um, yellow glass. And you look at it and go, yeah, it's yellow. It's 100% yellow. We all agree this is yellow. Mm. Until you flip it like this and go, well, actually, it's not yellow. It's blue. Uh -huh. Yeah, but I was 100% sure it was yellow until you came along and said, it's blue. And then a third person comes along and says, actually, you guys, it's magenta. And when you get all of us together and look at it, you realize that... It's really, if I can hold it the right way, it's really cool. It's a lot more than what it looked like from just my perspective of this is a yellow cube. It's much, much, much more than that. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's brilliant. And I think that that's the key thing because everyone is right. It's magenta, blue and yellow. Yeah, right? not one person more right than the others. You know, and and right. allowing a space for that, I think, is where the power is. So there's the the Rumi quote of you know there is right and wrong, and in between there is a field, and I will meet you there. And and I hope that, and I think this is where we're united. Our job yeah. is to yeah. make that field bigger, yeah, right? and to create space for people to be there and to be able to belong. Yeah, it's it's so much more fun. Mm. If I hang around with a bunch of people that are like me, it gets pretty boring after a while because <laughs> yeah. they all think the same way I do. And, and, and I, I, I think that I, I, maybe it was just programmed in early, but this idea of if you see it with your own eyes, then you know it's true. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> yeah. You saw it from one angle with your own eyes, but there might be another angle that you go, well, I hadn't thought about that. That's actually a whole, that's a different, wow. Mm. But it's, I, I, you know, I'm 64 and out. I think I probably realized that just because I saw it with my own eyes didn't make it so when I was about 60. Yeah, it's a, such a powerful lesson. And and one of the things that I'm, I wrote in my thesis is um, there's there's the truth, and there's somebody else's truth, and then there is the truth, and I think only really God knows what the truth is, because you're right. We're all looking at it from different perspectives and different angles, and so how do we have a conversation with each other to understand everyone else's truth? I think that is the key thing. So, Doctor Dan, you're a master of questions. I would love if you can offer us maybe two or three things that we can do to open up a conversation with people. Um, and, and my encouragement here to all of the listeners is, yes, you do it in the middle of the city, at a bus stop or at the grocery store or in the coffee shop. Speak to somebody because it's through those moments of connection that you also feel more connected to yourself. And I'm just laughing because for years I thought a really great question is to say, hey, how do you think you are? And people go, what? 
I said, well, how do you think you are? It's the same question as how are you, but it's just phrased in a different way that the people will go, well, actually, I'm kind of having a tough day today. If I say, how are you? Everybody goes, yeah, I'm fine. Good, man. How are you doing? How do you think you are? They go, huh. Well, that's a whole different, that's a whole different question. And it's just changing a couple of words. But, um, you know, sometimes a, a great question is, what are you celebrating? Mm. Or I might say something like, those are some really cool looking shoes you have on. Wish, like, those are, where did you get those? Those are amazing. You know, I had somebody that came in the clinic yesterday. Uh, no, somebody was working in the clinic yesterday, had these tennis shoes on that were just super bright and enthusiastic. It's, you know, do I see people and notice the stuff about them and say, those are some really pretty cool shoes. Can you, can you run faster in those? (laughs) (laughs) Can you jump higher? It's like, you know, I just want to be able to just break that ice and I'll talk to anybody and everybody. Mm. When I'm in line at the store, I'm, you know, looks like you're having a big party. (laughs) Buying all that food for you. (laughs) I talk to everybody because I think most people wish that they had more friends. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why not be a friendly voice in the community or, um, it doesn't cost you you anything. That's the thing. No. Mm -hmm. Or, or if I walk by, do you need some help getting those groceries in your back of your car? That's a, that's an easy question. How can I help? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love the question. What are you celebrating? If I know somebody and, you know, like somebody I'm working with, I might ask them, what's keeping you up at night? Mm. Because that's a great question. Although I don't want to just focus on what's keeping them up at night. I also want to flip them to, so what are you celebrating? Mm. I mean, you know, with exchange, we're always trying to, how do you reframe that into the positive? But sometimes meeting people where they are. With, you know, I'm not sleeping at night because I got this, 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 and this going on. Wow. That's tough. You ever been through anything like this before? How'd you get through it? I think this point that you've you've raised right at the end, and there's just so many different ways that we can unpack what you've said, but the point of meeting somebody where they are, I think, is one of the most significant things from this conversation because Many people try and say, well, this is why I am where I am. Come over here. Oh, yeah. And the work that I do in diversity and equity and inclusion, the minute you start saying that, I think it's harder work for them. And really the work that you're doing is the right kind of work, but it's also what's going to move the needle in the easiest, quickest way. And so when you meet somebody where they are, you're able, and how I describe it is, I'm able to stand next to you and go on that same journey with you together, holding your hand if I have to, giving you a hug as you cry and all of those other things and celebrating with you at the same time. But we're together in this journey. And just because I might have done a little bit of it, once before doesn't mean that I'm an expert because you know a pothole can turn up or there can be a pebble in the way or so so we're on this thing together and I think that is the piece that I would really like to kind of highlight from what you said yeah you know I've got friends that are from lots of different races and 
um, I think it's important to be able to say, my heart is that I walk this road with you, and I, I enthusiastically welcome your feedback if I'm doing something that's offensive to you. Because it's not intentional, but I also, maybe it's because I'm getting to be an old guy, I know that there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. Mm. And if I don't know that I'm offending you, it would crush me if I knew, you know, to find out that I'm offending you. So I, I'm willing to change, or at least I'm willing to work on it. Or at the very least, I'm willing to have a conversation about it. But I welcome your feedback. And if you say, hey, you know, every time you do this, it drives me nuts. Well, let's talk about it. Um, you know, educate me. And, I, you know, there's some stuff now, and I don't quite understand it, but there's some some pushback now from the that I've seen in the media, and I think the media is incredibly distorted. Um, but there's, um, and in fact, just as an aside, I think the you know I quit watching the news and reading the news about a month ago, and I, except Saturdays, I just look on the on Saturdays. Well, you know, then the Haitian earthquake happened, so now I'm looking at the news every day to check and get updates, but. What I noticed as I stepped away from the news is that they, no matter which network it is, they all work the same way by either generating fear or anger. So I've found it to be really helpful to just kind of step away um, from that. But I, but I noticed that there was some pushback in the African-American community of, no, I don't want to be your black friend. Mm. It's like the sense of, there are some white people that just want to have a token black friend so they can say, well, I got a black friend. Well, yeah, that's offensive. But what if you're the white guy who's never had a black friend before? Mm. <laughs> where, do you, where do you start? I think, I think we got to cut each other some slack and just say, hey, can we hang out? Mm. I don't know that I'm going to get this right, but I'd really like to walk this road with you. I think there's something um, about the intentionality of it because the worst thing that I, that I see is when someone is kind of expressing, um, and sadly this happens a lot in the UK and all over the world to some degree, when someone says quite Islamophobic things and then they say, oh, but I have a Muslim friend. And I think that's probably the context within which some people are giving their pushback. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't read it, but I would I would say that when I see that, it really presses my buttons because I'm like, well, just because you've got a Muslim friend doesn't mean that it can justify the response that you're giving and the things that you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think it is important for us to have a full range of friends because we connect with them. So one of the things that I noticed in the work that I do in um, in DEI is that a lot of the literature and a lot of the work that's available at the moment focuses on points of difference. And so following some of um, uh, being inspired by the kind of infrastructure that Christopher Lockhead has created to create a new category, which is what I'm trying to do with the Centre of Belonging and Understanding, and completely flip the language by creating a new one, I'm like, why are we focusing on the difference? Why don't we focus on the point of connection and use that as the bit for entry into the relationship? Because yeah. when you do that, it's so much deeper, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's 
what's one of the rich things about our relationship is that we're connected at the heart. We care about each other. I know if I'm going to bind, I could call you, you can call me. Absolutely. And, and there's a respect. Do we agree on everything? No. Am I okay with that? Sure. I'm okay with that. That's, that's what makes it more fascinating. 100%. Um, you know, so I think it's just this, am I willing to, to be fully present with people? and to bring bucket loads of love and say, I care about you, and you can ask me anything. <laughs> you know, before we started our podcast today, you said, are there any things you don't want to talk about? No, you can talk about what we talk about, whatever you want to talk about. Mm. And that's very much about creating a safe space, because I think the thing is we speak about psychological safety, and I think it's a phrase that is banded about everywhere. Yeah. But I'm a firm believer that you create psychological safety in the moment and you have to do it for each conversation. Like just because you've done it once doesn't give you permission that it's going to happen. And perhaps I would even go as far as saying this piece on psychological safety is like sexual consent, right? There's no assumption that you've got it all the time. So you build it and you ask. And that's why for me, it's really significant that I ask before we start, is there anything you don't want to speak about? Even if we've had that conversation in an email before, because things change. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a respect thing. Yeah, 100%. And, and yeah. You, you kind of nurture and cultivate respect every single time in every interaction. And I think what's really quite scary is that it can be lost in a second. Yeah you know, and being mindful of that. And, and, and even still though, when that happens and the trust is broken, then, then the big question comes back again. My big question that it, it's always right there. What does unstoppable love look like? Mm. Yeah. Unconditional love. I might forgive you if you come and ask for forgiveness. Unstoppable love is going to say, Hey, can we get together? Because mm. I don't like this fracture that's happened in our relationship. There was a thing that happened. You offended me, but I'll take the initiative to come to you and work it out because I value the relationship. Mm. I really I like, yeah, sorry. I, I really like the framing that you've put on that because I don't like tension in my relationships with anyone right? I, look, I have had enough years of that stuff. And I've realized that actually, energetically, it's a real drain for me. And I'm too old now to be dealing with that. So I'm the irritating person that will reach out and will say to people, I'm not quite sure what happened there. Can we speak? And it yes. presses people's buttons. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, yeah. and But I don't need to push myself on it. I could just say, hey, it's I don't know what happened, but I want to work it out when you're ready. Mm, absolutely. Because as long as you've kind of put that thing out there, then you've put that within the atmosphere. And, you know, to, to use a language that we're both familiar with, God is also going to hear that. Yeah. Right. And somehow he will help to resolve that, whether it be immediately or it be in 10 or 20 years time, it doesn't matter, but it's been put out there. That communication has been made. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. a good thing. 
Hundred mm, percent. If, if the world would be more like that, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> it would. And oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and sadly, I would love to be perfect, but I know I'm not, and I know I've pressed a lot of people's buttons recently. <laughs> but you know, when you do the work that you do, and you do it with the right intention, hopefully, it means that the journey of growth that people are on is that and the space that you create to hold them, they know that it's done with love and care and all of that other stuff. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to ask you something that, that you said you like um, to pose as a question to people, um, which is what are you celebrating right now? What am I celebrating right now? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm growing by leaps and bounds. Um, I'm working on my book. Yay! It's been, you know, it's been a start, start, start and stop sort of thing. Uh, it's a book called Second String Starters from mm -hmm. Size to Significance. And it's all about my, I'm absolutely convinced that God prefers to use the second string. Tell me Not more. People that have their acts all together. Well, the, the opening, the opening to the book, and this is like, it's not published yet. So, shh. <laughs> But it's, this is the tease. How's that? And my, my English teacher, Mrs. Clark, said that sometimes sentences are so powerful they get to be their own paragraphs. So the first one is, he was a foster kid. Second paragraph, he stuttered. Third paragraph, he was a murderer. And maybe you read the story about this guy. It's a true story. You know, so he grows up as a foster kid and feels like rejected and all this kind of stuff that goes with being a foster kid is really, really tough. And then he stutters, and so he gets bullied because he stutters, and he, so he's just got this stuff going on. And one day he sees a big guy beating on a little guy, and um, he goes nuts. And he starts beating on the guy, and he kills the guy, and hides his body and goes on the run. And he's on the run out in the middle of nowhere, I mean, it, it, I can't imagine the agony of that. Mm. You know, you know that you know that you did the wrong thing, and now you're on the run. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> he sees something weird up ahead. He goes, "Like, what is that?" He gets up there, and it's a bush on fire. And God says, "Moses, I want you to go set my people free." It's like, what? I think, you know, the old black and white movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was like that. I think it was probably funnier. Because mm -hmm. Moses standing there talking to this burning bush and going, you know, there's a contract out of my life. If I, I can't just walk into the palace. They're going to run me through with a spear. And that's, no, I can't do that. And, 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 and I, it's like, who do I say sent me? And God says, well, tell him I am sent you. And then Moses going, well, yeah, but how do they know? Like, and, and the, the Jews know that I killed this guy, so they, they don't want me as a leader. And so uh, what do, how, do I, how do they know that, you know, you and I had this conversation? He says, well, throw your stick down. Throws it down, turns it into a snake. Oh, and then it's the funniest line in the Bible. It says, God said, pick it up by the, by the tail. And if I'm Moses, I'm running away at this point going, everybody knows, you know, pick up a snake by the tail. No, we're not doing it. And he finally picks it up and it turns back into a stick. Mm. And at that point, if I'm Moses, I'm throwing it down and picking it up and throwing it down and picking it up. This is the coolest thing. 
And then he says, but God, I don't speak so well. And God's answer is hilarious. God says, Moses, who makes mouths? You know, and if you were sitting in the war room of heaven and you're looking at it going, okay, the Israelites are oppressed. They need to be set free. We got to pick somebody to go lead them out. <laughs> Nobody would say, say, how about Moses? You know, he smells like sheep. He's a murderer. He stutters. He's a foster kid. No, everybody look at it. I'm sure the angels all went, are you, are you serious, God? Really? Are you serious? Seriously? You, Moses? You got King David. He was the runt. Prophet goes to his dad, says, one of your boys is going to be the next king. So what got to be the oldest one, bring him in. <laughs> it's not that one. Well, maybe the next oldest one. No, it's not that one. Goes to 11 boys, and then he says, don't you have any other sons? And, he, and his own dad says, huh. Well, there's David, uh, but, you know, he's out tending sheep. He ends up being the king. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you fast forward into New Testament, you got Peter denies Jesus, Paul's out murdering Christians and stoning them, and then um, Jesus is hanging out with hookers, drunks, a tax collector, and a bunch of stinky fishermen. Mm. And and Jesus himself, like we, we talked about earlier, single teenage mom born in a barn wrapped in some cloth in a trough. Mm. There's a pattern here. Mm. If it's true that God prefers the second string, that changes how I see myself. Because the imposter syndrome goes, oh, maybe it's okay if I don't have my act all together. Because I don't. I've got all kinds of stuff going on. But maybe God prefers that. The mm-hmm. people have their act together. Oh, so that changes how I see myself. Changes how I see other people. How do I see the person that's at the... Grocery store with her cardboard sign. Does she does she have a voice? Does she have potential? Does God want to use her to change the whole world? Yeah, maybe. Changes how I see God, too. I'll never forget being, you know, I was the director of the medical triage unit at the New Orleans Convention Center after Hurricane Katrina. And it was on Tuesday morning at about 10 o'clock. I'm sitting on a cot. We had six helicopters at a time landing around us and carrying patients out. And they're noisy. They're blowing stuff all over the place. We had the, the Army guys from the 82nd Airborne around us with machine guns protecting us because there was people shooting at the rescue workers. So they're there to protect us and to protect the helicopters. And I'm sitting there looking around and saying, God, I can't believe I am a small-town family practice doctor from Washington State. That's on the other side of the United States. You know, it's like... And, and I'm running the only functioning medical facility in the whole city of New Orleans. And I'm a family practice guy. I'm not a trauma specialist. I'm just, I'm, and I heard God chuckle. Mm-hmm. And he just was like, yeah, I know. Oh. And I thought, huh, this is amazing that if God can use somebody like me to do the work that we did there, the work that we've done in Haiti, and in all these disasters around the world. I'm a second string guy. But it, I'm I'm excited and delighted that God would say, Yeah, actually, it's not that I tolerate the second string, it's that I prefer the second string because you're ready. 
First string thinks they got their act all together. Second stringers go, yeah, yeah, they got issues. I'm just, I'm just another, another guy. Oh my gosh! So that's what I'm excited about. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to read your book. So I'm just going to put it out there. Like when you're ready to launch it, I hope you're going to come back and discuss a little bit more about the content. <laughs> come on, that'd be fun. Yeah, man. And and you do, do know my son is called Musa, which is the Arabic name of Moses. Oh, nice. Honestly. And so when I, w- and I remember like, um, you know, when we were thinking about the name and all of this other stuff and, you know, there's so much providence, I think, in names. Yeah. And we were just unpacking some of the things and then you get to know the story of Moses even better and stuff. And I was just like, wow. I mean, there's so much from these kind of like Abrahamic stories that we can learn today. And one of my questions, in in fact, I would say a question that we play with in some of the kind of interfaith communities that I'm in is this idea of, you know, if Jesus was to come on a boat with his mum right now today, would he be accepted? And there seems to be this collective thing that says, you know, he would just be turned away. And so I live in a Christian country that would turn away Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, we got some work to do. I think if Jesus showed up today, it would be, you know, when, when the, and I, gosh, I wish they, I hope in heaven they have instant replay. Because there's some stuff I want to go back and I want to watch what it really happened. So when you're thinking about the shepherds out in the middle of the field, and all of a sudden this angel dude shows up and he says, Hey, unto you today is born a child. Well, they didn't have flashlights, they didn't have lanterns, they just had sheep. <laughs> And maybe a fire if they were lucky. So I'm assuming that when an angel shows up, these guys have got to be terrified out of their minds. Mm-hmm. Then he says, and this here's the sign. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloth, wrapped in, or wrapped in cloth, laying in a manger. The sign is the manger. The sign is the... And, and when I was working on my book, I wrote, no, no, one, saw, no one saw that one coming. Because they all thought God's going to come in glory with, you know, flashing lights and, you know, chariots and all this stuff. And he shows up like this. Are you serious? Are you serious? It's the greatest love story of all time. You know? And I'm, I'm looking at this going, I didn't see that one coming. And then I, won't, I realized I need to go back and capitalize the one. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. That, you know, how it is so unpredictable. And that's kind of, I mean, I, I want to live my life in a way where people are saying, um, I didn't see that one coming. I want to surprise people with love in a way that makes them go, huh, <laughs> oh, wow. Mm. So, you know, it's just, um, it's a, it's a, for me, it's easy for me to relate to that scene of the shepherds and being in the barn, then it would be relating to the Pharaoh. Mm. Like, how do I, what do you say to a Pharaoh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it's, um, 
it's no, I, I can I can get you because I think the thing is for me, kind of like the the pharaoh is just so out there, like wouldn't even listen to anything I've got to say. Yeah, right. You know, whereas I think, um, and this is the thing that I love actually about you know all of the prophets being um, shepherds and kind of having some form of thing about kind of, um, you know, um, being responsible for their flock and things is that they will listen. Right. And, and so when we read the stories, I feel that there is a form of connection that we can have with them that is beyond yeah. the words. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? mm. Yeah. I think your, your question of is if Jesus showed up today, I think he would probably, it would be, um, you know, we wouldn't be shepherds. We we might be, you know, sitting at a football game. Oh, that's right. You don't have football like we have football. Um, we might be at a game. Yeah. <laughs> and some angels show up and they say, oh, yeah, God's here. And he's uh, out behind a grocery store with the homeless people, a uh, single teenage mom, third tent on the right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the church would go, no, that couldn't be. No, no, not a single teenage mom. No. So, mm-hmm. Well, how do you think he came last time? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, I, and I think that, that I, I read a book called The End of Religion by a guy named Bruxy Cavey. It was a fascinating book. He said that the reason that they killed Jesus because he, he came to totally throw, to take down the whole religious structure. It wasn't the political guys that went after him. It was the religious leaders of the time that went after him. So mm-hmm. it's like, ah, it's, it's fascinating. Really fascinating. That's, a, that's an interesting, interesting book. It'd be a fun one to kick around with you. Yeah, no, I will get it and read it. And then there's another conversation there as well. Like, you know, when I'm having amazing guests on like yourself, we end up unpacking things that are kind of like 10 conversations in <laughs> and a whole series. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's all good. I want to read your thesis. Oh, do you know, I cannot wait to publish it because my ambition is literally to get the thing done and publish. And funnily enough, I sent an email to my supervisors today and I said, I need some guidance because I'm really, actually, let me read it out for you because it's just on my screen here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm working away and hoping to do a first draft of my thesis by mid-September at the latest. I know it's the summer holiday and I could have chosen a better time, but this is all I have. I have some questions see below and in addition I'd be grateful for a discussion regarding the direction I'm taking because I feel as if I'm making some big risky decisions and whilst part of me and I hope any examiners do not listen to this right if you're listening to this I need my doctorate that's right please um, so uh, I'm taking whilst part of me, forgive me in abundance, doesn't care about the doctorate and I want to write what I'm writing because it's useful. The other part of me also knows that I need to be respectful of the system and conform to the rules and I would amen- benefit immensely from your guidance at this particular time. And so there is this thing there, isn't there, about kind yeah. of like knowing that the structure is there and you've got to play with the rules but also for me, one of the things that I enjoy doing, and I think we have a point of connection here in some ways, is I want to know where the rules are so I know how far I can go because I think at the margins of the rules is where the real work gets done and where you make the change that's needed. 
There was an interesting study that they did years ago where they looked at children on playgrounds. And if there's no fence around the playground, the children play right in the center of the field. If you put a, play, a fence around the playground, they use the whole thing. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It's like, mm. ah. Fascinating. Mm, absolutely. So I would love, I mean, there's so many different questions that I want to ask you, but I'm, I'm going to kind of um, ask you a few and then we'll wrap up for the day. Um, and the first one is, what advice would your 16-year-old self give to you? So what would 16-year-old self say to Dr. Dan today? Be nice to yourself. Mm. That's very powerful. And what's your favorite book? Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one. I mean, other than the Bible, because that's got to be, that's up there. That's, that's a different category. Mm-hmm. I'm saying um, The Name of the Wind by, by Rothfuss. And it's a wizard coming of age book. Probably not what you predicted for my favorite book. <laughs> and that was not my genre until I read that book. And the guy has got such a phenomenal sense of imagination. It's just, and he's, he's tweaked physics just a little bit, but he's done, he's done it in a way that you go, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, if you knew that, that was, it's kind of unlocks all this other stuff. And it's magnificent. It's the only novel I've read twice. Well, I'm going to read it once. So, yeah, I'll warn list. you, he hasn't finished the third book yet. So it's not a trilogy, it's a billogy. I made that word up, but what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, that's, that's, mm, that's a great one. It's a really oh, good book. Thank you. And what are you reading and listening and watching right now? I just did a master class on um, how to do voiceovers. Mm. I thought that'd be kind of fun. Was um, that the master class with the girl who does um, Bart Simpson's voice? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun to watch. It was really cool. Uh, I'm reading a book on uh, coaching right now and, um, uh, you know, trying to, I'm, I'm in the process of developing a, a coaching program uh, that's going to be an online group coaching program. Mm-hmm. That I'm really excited about building that because I think there's a tremendous need. Uh, and, and it's going to be specifically designed for, faith-based people that are trying to work in the corporate world. Love it. And what advice do you have for me? Oh, my gosh. Um, Other than check in with me on a very frequent basis because I love you and I appreciate you, uh, I would say keep going. I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm especially excited about what you're doing in the interfaith work uh, that I, I believe God has called you to do. And it's been, I think that's really, 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 it's good. I, I appreciate you. I'm glad that you're going for the gusto because mm. you have a lot to give. Thank you. And thank you for being part of my journey because I think, uh, you know, you mentioned um, imposter syndrome earlier on, but like for me, it's been an absolute debilitator and I've now started to realize that it's my Achilles heel. And yeah. But it's also my superpower. It is. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's okay. I really, I'm convinced God wants to use a second string. Mm. 
hundred percent. And I can't yeah. wait to read your book. So what I, I would hurry up and finish it then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, when are you planning on publishing? Oh my gosh. I would love to get it done in the next six months. Okay. So this time next year, we're going to yeah. be at the latest. We're yeah. going to have spoken yeah. about your book. That's the plan. Mm. And finally, because you've shared so many gems with us, I know that people are going to be interested in getting in touch with you and finding out more about the work that you do. And and also, I hadn't planned to ask this, but also um, supporting some of the charitable work that you do when you go out to you know places like Haiti, and which very sadly is in the middle of crisis again at the moment. Um, so where can they find out about you and where can they support the work that you're doing out there as well? Yeah, first things first, medicalteams.org. It's the, the organization is Medical Teams International and it's awesome. Uh, they're, they're, they do such a great job of getting the right people in the right place at the right time and that's really difficult to do. And they, they're very particular about making sure that the money gets to where it needs to go. That's so important I, these days. I trust them impeccably. Uh, and then people can get a hold of me at dandiamondmd.com. Fantastic. dandiamondmd.com. And I hope everyone does because, honestly, Dr. Dan is just a real star, as you know right now, because of all of the gifts that he's shared with us. So please do take a moment to donate and also to find out more about Dr. Dan. Uh, thank you. This has just been an immense gift for me. Um, I always think every conversation with you is a huge gift. So again, really, I'm immensely grateful. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you and I love you. If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Center for Belonging and Understanding.